Thank you for listening to the In The Lead show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and check out the In The Lead newsletter. Every week I send out mindfulness and leadership tips to help you become the best leader of you. See the show notes for a link to subscribe to the newsletter or go to www.intheleadshow.com and subscribe there. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the In The Lead show. My name is Jennifer Sang and you are listening to episode number 34. In today's episode, I get to talk to two leadership experts, Debbie Cohen and Kate Rusky-Zoomer, who are co-founders of Humanity Works, a leadership development organization that focuses on increasing productivity by bringing more humanity to the workplace. When working together is deeper and more connected, people give more of themselves and business wins. They are the co-authors of Humanity Works Better, five practices to lead with awareness, choice, and the courage to change. These five practices show people exactly how to shift behavior so that everyone from employees to the C-suite can work better together to produce great business results. The world of work has changed tremendously. Where work is done, how work gets done, and the relationship people have to their work have all changed. And there's no going back. Debbie and Kate work with organizations on the forefront of catalytic change, those committed to fostering human-centered organizations, knowing profits and people are interdependent. Debbie and Kate know letting go of old ways of working and shifting mindset is hard, courageous work. This is where humanity work shines. They help you bring more humanity to the workplace so together we can change the world of work. They provide straightforward, practical techniques that shift behavior to be a good human and do better work. This conversation was extremely enlightening, and I loved a lot of the practices that they discuss in the ways that we can lead with more awareness and choice, and especially with courage. Um, I believe that courage is at the foundation of everything that we do as a human being. It takes a lot of courage to make difficult choices and to bring your awareness level up so that you can be a better human, not only in your families and your businesses, but in the workplace in general. I think this is a great conversation and I love talking to both Debbie and Kate about their great work, their book, and ways that we can all be more courageous. So welcome to the show. Welcome back to the In The Lead show. My name is Jennifer Sang. And today I am joined by Debbie Cohen and Kate Rusky Zoomer from Humanity Works to talk about five practices to lead with awareness, choice, and courage to change. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Before um, we had this conversation, I was telling you that I had cracked open your book, Humanity Works Better and was skimming through some of the sections and a lot of it really resonated with me. So I'm really excited to talk about some of the practices that we can all use to lead with more awareness, choice, and the courage to change. Because as the listeners know of this podcast, I like to talk a lot about building that self-awareness as a really key pillar to self-leadership and just leadership in general. Um, so I'm really excited, but before, before we dive in, I would love to get a little bit more information about both of you. So Debbie, who are you? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Who am I? I always love that question. Like, who am I today? Like I was like, <laughs> right. There's always that one. 
when people ask me that, oftentimes I like to think of myself as a behaviorist. My first uh, degree is in education. The second one is in organizational behavior. And I'm just always fascinated in people and how they work inside systems. And that's really been the arc of my career. Everything from working with young children um, and parent co-op preschools to um, being the head of HR in a Fortune 50 company. So sort of a big journey, very eclectic and lots of opportunities to see leadership and to practice and play with my own inside itty bitty startups, you know, nonprofit sectors and the Fortune 50. So um, super, super fun to be a part of, you know, share, share the experiences and scar tissues and joys and journeys along the way. And then um, when I was the chief people officer at Mozilla, I really wanted to design a different kind of leadership program for a very unique and different kind of organization. Um, and Kate and her then business partner were my partners of choice. Humanity into the workplace for the last 12 years or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Jennifer, you're on mute. Um, so yes. So I have, um, I, it's so funny because I think, you know, when I think about who, who, who am I and what do I do? I think part of what um, I got into coaching way back when, <laughs> when people thought of coaching as sports coaching and I'm tall in real life. And so people were like, so you're going to coach basketball, right? You know, um, that's, you know, now it's in the vernacular. Everybody calls themselves a coach. You know, there's lots of coach training out there, all that good stuff. And, um, and, and when I first learned these skills, I was like, oh my God, I knew back then I want to bring these coaching skills into organizations because I think they will help leaders be better leaders. And I think it will help people communicate more effectively together. I mean, it's a part of the problem that we set up in the book, you know, which is working together with other people can be messy, just yeah. super messy and complicated and egos get in the way and communication is not clear, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that's really what, what has motivated um, me for, for all of these years that I've been doing this work. Um, is they're not complicated. Debbie and I joke about this all the time. They are not complicated skills. I mean, like we we sort of know how to do them, but maybe we forgot. And so um, part of what we do is just remind people, well, here, here's a different way of thinking about listening. You know what I mean? And it's not like we don't know how to listen, but maybe there's a new twist in the way that we talk about listening that will make you be a better listener with the people around you. And I think that will then make you a better leader or a better manager or whatever. So, um, so I started out in advertising and, but have been doing this work for the last 20 years and I'm just super, super still, um, motivated to do it. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your motivation because I will say that having worked in a very large organization myself, um, we talk about a lot of these things a lot and there's even training. We even bring Brene Brown in, you know, to give us a pep talk around vulnerability and how to listen and all these things. And yet we don't, I, I hear a lot and I don't always see the transformation. I don't see the, you know, all of these things are really great thoughts, concepts, great ideas, not really seeing it, um, executed in the business on a regular basis, or even woven into the fabric of who we are. Um, I feel like there's a huge gap 
still there. And, you know, I'm curious your thoughts. You both have been around the block um, in different leadership positions and in different roles and industries. What do you make on with that? Like we have a lot of really great intentions, but I don't necessarily always see the outcome or the product or like we're living these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the reasons we wrote the book, the way that we wrote the book. So each one of the five practices are connected to a productivity skill or productivity practice that we know is important. I'm going to use, you know, creating safety, you know, like it it builds trust. So literally you could do a search on Google on trust and millions upon millions of things will pop up, but nobody really helps you figure out how you do that, which is why even what trust means. That's right. We're like, there's these little five letter words that we use all the time. Mm -hmm. Trust being one of them, but trust looks different to different people. And it's yeah. created in different ways. And if you don't, Kate's famous vocabulary, if you don't slow it down and sort of break that apart, you give people, Jen, back to your part, a lot of platitudes. You need to do these things as leaders, but I think they don't happen because people don't know how to do yeah. them, which well, is what Kate's point to do in the book. Yeah, yeah. And I think people have habitual patterns. I believe firmly, and I don't know your take on this, but- I believe firmly it's actually the systems in place that reinforce, um, promote and glamorize in some ways, the exact behaviors we don't want to see, right? How do you get promoted in organizations? How do you become a great leader? Um, it's not usually about like always how much do people like you or how much trust are you able to build in the organization or safety or all these things that we want to see, but we reward people based on how much, you know, money you can bring into the organization, your revenue, how much, what are your productivity? It's, it feels like it's out of whack almost to me where. No, you're, I think you're absolutely right, Jennifer. I mean, one of the things that we talk about and we do this in our trainings, we to write about it in the book, we do it sort of in our coaching, we do it everywhere is that there's so much emphasis put on what you do, mm-hmm. not how you do it with the people around you. And mm-hmm. this is a famous Debbieism, you know what I mean? But it's like you don't do you don't do anything on your own in or in an organization. Everything right. is dependent upon everyone else. Um, but it is one of those parts of working in a big organization that is is oftentimes not uh, not looked at, not actually helping. How do I help people work together more effectively? And it's one of the things we're super passionate about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things that, you know, comes up for me is there are always systemic roadblocks to these things happening. Um, and so you can point your fingers to those people over there, they should change it or, right. And we're a big believer that if something isn't right in your workplace, that change starts with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing you can change, the only thing you can change is yourself. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have to think about, you know, if there is an injustice, do you give voice to that? Do you raise your hand? Do you try? Right. Not every try will yield an outcome, but sitting in silence, thinking somebody else is going to take care of it is not the way to affect a change that you think is important in your, yeah. in your world. Mm-hmm. And 
And so much of what we write about in the book is what is within your control and how do you start there? And so certainly positional power and authority make a difference about what's in your control, but also having sat in those seats, change does not happen at the speed of lightning in those, in those seats. Lots of variables come into play um, to create systemic change. Um, and so the other place to look is the roadblocks that are sitting inside yourself. And as coaches, we all know what those look like, right? Yeah. Um, and what gets in the way of the individual saying, what can I do in this moment that makes something shift for me and the people around me? I was, I was doing some training, that this training that I was referencing in Tampa, and it was an intact team. And we were doing some work on uh, your own, those individual roadblocks Deb was just talking about on your yourself. And one of those is where you go when you get reactive, right? And there's sort of three primary places of going. You can become a complier, a controller, or a protector. And 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 uh, and and the group started to kind of go, Ooh, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't, you know, like, like, like literally, you know, there was you could feel the resistance, and and a brave soul was like. I don't understand this. I don't understand why we're doing this. You know, this feels really vulnerable. And, and we sort of paused for a second. We said, well, what, you know, what is important about this intact team knowing where you each go and you yourself knowing where you go when you get reactive, you know, and boom, it just opened up the room. I mean, it opened up the room and people were like, oh, and by the end, and when there's, there's hidden gifts and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a pretty long arc of work, but you know, it is one of those places. That's why we lead with awareness. And I always say that awareness one is that it's a doozy. That's the biggest one. If you're not aware of it, then guess what? You can't do anything to change it. You know, you can't, suddenly be in choice about, do I want to be this reactive person? Do I want to step back and go, Hey, hang on a minute. I think I need a moment because I'm not me at my best, you know? And that's when the courage to change steps in, which is why we've given the book, the subtitle it has. Yeah, no, I, it, it, it aligns. I think I've actually done a couple of podcast episodes and I talk about this a lot, right? Like I believe it starts with self. I think trust absolutely starts with self. I think safety, all, you know, and we'll talk about the five strategies there in a minute, but all of these things, as I was going through um, the five different strategies, uh, practices you guys have around creating this courage is it's all self mm-hmm. every single time it comes. But a lot of times, um, again, me also going through an organization, been around the block. I've seen so many times where we want to point fingers. We want to try and reorganize the business. We want to um, in, implement innovation and change at a very rapid pace. And people are just stuck going, I, I'm, I'm not even able to be centered where I'm at. And now you're asking me to do all this because we're just constantly reacting. Oh, we need more money over in this business. We'll take people here. Move it's almost like we look at people like they're objects or they're like in a game that we can just kind of like yeah. move. But it always comes back to me about that recentering piece where it's like, come back to self. Anytime you're feeling mistrust or unsafe, or you're feeling reactive. Yeah. How do you come back to that self? Cause that self is what creates that space that you're talking about to create more choices, better decisions, more connection, empathy, uh, you know, all the things, but it's that self that I feel like we're almost afraid of. And if we're not used to that, if we're not used to having that awareness, 
it can be really scary for some people, especially people with trauma or, you know, really deeply wounded, um, parts. Um, but I think it's so key and it's so valuable and I'm happy to see that you're doing this work because I think it's what's the key, one of the big key missing pieces for me in leadership today, even in development or training. So we don't talk enough about that. We don't talk enough about, Hey, leadership isn't always about controlling your outputs and how you impact others. It starts here first. If you can't do that, you're not going to be able to do that effectively. Um, You know, it's so interesting, Jennifer, that you say that Um, we do a lot. The 360 tool we often use with leadership um, development is the leadership circle profile. And Bob Anderson, who's the founder of that group, he wrote Mastering Leadership. One of the um, things he talks about is adult um, evolution and how that mirrors in organizational development and evolution. And one of his quotes that we love is an organization cannot evolve beyond the consciousness of its leadership. Yep. And one of the data points that he shares is that for most adults, 85% never evolve beyond that reactive state that you and Kate are talking about. And so for those listeners who are wondering, how do I create a competitive advantage for my company, in my industry, for myself? the place we would certainly aim you to start is that is yourself, is that awareness of yourself and who you want to be, not just what you're doing, but who you want to be while you're doing that doing Um, and watch the cumulative effect that that has on people around you and in your organization. 85% of adults never evolve. Beyond oh, that even seems low. I would have said probably over ninety percent. Like yeah. I think very few people have that courage, and because I, I just know from myself and my own experience, I've only had one leader who I know was really actively like not only just like again platitudes, awareness, empathy, but was really committed to. I know I have blind spots. Like I want to have those difficult conversations. I want to understand myself better. One out of I mean, countless, you know, leaders I've worked with over the years and yeah. So, I mean, I don't doubt that. Yeah. Over 85% don't ever go there. It's, it is hard. It is hard work, but I think it's rewarding. And like you said, I think it's almost like this, this amplified effect where, and, and I love how you also said earlier, this is a belief I've had longstanding is I've always said, I'm not going to wait for my leadership team, like to tell me or to show me or to be who I feel like mm-hmm. I want to be, what I want to see around me. You need to start creating that yourself um, and start almost turning people into like, you know, um, converting people into kind of this new way of being and not waiting for your leadership team to say, hey, yeah, we should start building our self-awareness or we should start being kinder. Start sh- doing that and being that every day and, you know, amplify it. Because one of the things that we talk about, because we, we do get this, is that what if you don't have positional power, right? So there are a lot of people out there that, that feel like, well, I, I can't say this feels unsafe. And that's why we put a lot of the emphasis on take, take, you know, take that stand, because when you take that stand, you're actually going to help everyone else take that stand. 
right? When you have the courage to change, you actually inspire other people around you from doing it. So no, don't do it in the board meeting if you're taking notes or whatever, you know, but, but there might be other places in your, what that you can actually have that kind of impact, you know, so to be looking for those places when you can be the kind of person that you want to be, you know, in the areas where you feel like you have some agency to be able to do that. The other thing I'll add, having sat in those C-suites and watched and having been responsible for shaping programs, one of the the things that um, we did uh, with Kate at Mozilla is I didn't start at the top of the house. I started where the pain was the greatest inside the organization. And I'm just a big believer, back to my child development days, right? That we will change when we're motivated to change. And oftentimes that's when things hurt, when things are not easy, when things are hard. And so we looked at what had happened in a rapidly scaling organization where uh, what we now call influential leaders, that tier above managers responsible for the execution of strategy, multiple functions reporting into them, not at the top of the house, um, that the pain was greatest there because they didn't know what that job meant. They had been promoted from managers and they thought that's what they were supposed to do. But leadership is waiting for them to inform you know, progress against the North Star strategy. And so working with that tier was high leverage because as they started to change, both how they worked with one another changed. By the way, the definition of humanity is that interdependence of people. Um, and, And they started influencing up and into the organization. And so the uplift of shift inside the organization began when you start at where the pain is the greatest, where's your high leverage place. And while it's important to um, work with the top of the house, I often do not start there Yeah, in the work yeah. that we do. Me either. Yeah. I mean, I feel like absolutely. I've always been a big believer in grassroots kind of movements and like how we can make systemic impactful change is yeah. like you said, yeah, going directly to the pain itself. And Finding, I also find that that's usually the sweet spot in the organization where they have that influence both up and down. Um, and I think that is where a lot of, you know, this change. And I, I just, I always encourage people because I know a lot of people get discouraged based on, especially if you've been in an organization for a long time and you've kind of been around the block, you know, mm-hmm. it's the same stuff over. It can be difficult. You can get yourself into ruts and think like, and eh, nothing's going to change. I can't do anything, but can we lead from where we are, from whatever seat we're sitting in? How can we make, even if it's the smallest impact in shifting that? And I believe over time that that is really what changes things. It's not a directive from the C-suite or, you know, even the executive level. It's usually those people coming together, like you said, in that interdependent way and in, in almost creating that change, not waiting for it. Um, yeah. And I, I always say that the human experience is all relational. Like we need, we thrive and we depend on our safety and our existence depends on that being able to have those relational experiences so that we can connect with people. We feel belong, we like we belong, like we're safe. Um, and I'm curious because of your background, I have a belief that I think at the root of everything, all fear reactions, everything is this deep sense of wanting to protect 
um, what is most vulnerable to us. And I believe that that's what a lot of conflict and you know, arguments, everything we see of why it's so hard to be relational, because when you're in that space, it isn't relational. All it is, is I need to protect me and, you know, keep me safe. I don't care what happens to you or how it impacts you. It's just about me. Right. And we lash out and get triggered. And I see that like type of behavior happening a lot of, I need to protect me because I'm too hurt or vulnerable and I can't, I can't handle it. That's right. That's right. And that's, what's at the very basic of this leadership circle profile that Deb was referring to. Mm -hmm. When you go to your reactive place or complier or protector or controller, what is at risk is your identity. So the very definition of going to that reactive place is that you feel under threat or you feel like you have to prove yourself, which, which I often sort of jokingly say is sort of the definition of work, right? (laughs) When you feel like you have to prove yourself or you feel under threat and, you know, in some way, shape or form. And so that's part of, you know, one of the, the biggest places. And when I go to my reactive place, guess where I send the two of you? I send rice and you guys, right. That's it's this domino effect. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you got to start with yourself. Yeah. Because you know, if you can actually understand yourself, oh, this is where I go, then you can have, you know, you're never going to not go there because we're in, we're in the fight flight or, you know, freeze mentality of the amygdala hijack. Um, So you're never not going to go there. Um, But how do you get yourself out of that pretty quick? And how do you bring people along and be vulnerable in the process? It it also ties back to that awareness, choice, and courage to change peace. One of the practices in the book is called claiming your values. And probably in our collective work as coaches, we've had these conversations a bazillion times, which is most people are unconscious of that identity and unconscious of what's being triggered inside them. And so part of that first work is what does matter to me? What what do I want to live my life aligned by? What are those values? And then am I holding myself in choice every day about living into those values as opposed to, you know, the toxic jerk, you know, that shows up and gets rewarded in some of these organizations? What yeah. would it be like, right, to do that work that says, uh, here's what's important to me, not money. Money is not a value. Money is an outcome, right? There's something underneath the money that it gives you security, a sense of stability. There's something important underneath that. And when you can identify that, claim it, and then think about what you need to do every day to live into those values or stand in choice to not and understand the implications that that might have, um, that's hard work that most people skip over and we live into a default identity that's been given to us by our experiences and our upbringing. And we think that's how we're supposed to be. Or it's based on society and what we think we ought to be doing. I know that was something that I struggled with for a long time was, Oh, you, you need to live this life. Here's the blueprint. I got it all figured out for you. And I found myself going like, yeah, but I'm not fulfilled. I'm not happy. I'm, this isn't my values, but I know that, you know, going back to psychology, it can be really tough for people who maybe grew up in really narcissistic households or households where it wasn't safe to be who you really are, you know, different communities, the LGBTQ, um, so many communities where you're fed from the day you're born, like the way you are is not okay. 
and you need to be different to fit into and make us all feel more comfortable. We can't be uncomfortable, right? Can't be aware of that. But yeah, I, I think it can be really hard for some people to fully embrace their wholeness and their values and who they are. And I agree. I think it's the journey of a lifetime. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're here is trying to get to that acceptance of ourselves at every level, like who we are and be like, just like you said, living into that, those values and um, just why we're here on the planet. And um, a lot of people do struggle with that. I I see that a lot in coaching. And I think it is those value um, pieces that you're talking about. People just don't know. And they're like, I'm just so tired or I'm just so like worn out from like living some other person's idea of what my life should be or that I just, I don't even know what that looks like. Um, yeah. But yeah, We're seeing that in some of our leadership conversations right now, right? That some of the mindsets that had been taught to how leaders are supposed to lead yeah. are no longer working in today's world. Um, and that's being really disruptive for some folks and yeah. really causing, you know, leaders in particular to say, wow, back to your vulnerability conversation earlier, right? How do I lead with vulnerability? We've had coaching conversations where people are like, does that mean I just like open my chest and be like, I have no idea what we're doing here. And we're like, no, that's not actually quite what that means. But what does back to the words we use without meaning or definition, what does it mean? And how can I be vulnerable as a leader? And what does that create? One of our Mm -hmm. Kate's favorite chapters in the book, you know, daring not to know, you know, is about um, being vulnerable is actually about letting people in and realizing when you let them in, engagement is, is deepened and um, their contribution can help you actually get to that place of not, of solving what you don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. So. so key. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, I feel like a lot of these words are platitudes and not something we're always really interested in learning, but no, we have to say it right. It's, but I do see that there is a shift happening. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why for so many years, I never saw myself as a leader because I looked around and I was like, that's not who I want to be. And that's not who I am. And I don't want to be that. So, okay, I guess I'm not a leader. Um, but I think the more we can build that courage, like you all are talking about to be vulnerable for me, vulnerability is how much space can I hold? Do I have enough trust in myself? Do I have enough trust in, you know, I've resolved the issues or traumas that I have that I can be a little exposed and have that space and know that I'll be okay. Like I'm not, nothing's going to happen. I'm not going to be, you know, torn apart or completely exposed and unsafe, but can I hold that space and how, and I think the more you work on it, you build that, widen that capacity to hold more and more space and know that you'll be okay. Even if, you know, it's an uncomfortable situation or it's a difficult situation, knowing that you'll be okay. And just really being able to hold that is so key in leadership. Um, So we've talked a little bit about some of these five practices. So I'd be curious to hear from you what a little bit more about each of those five practices that people can start doing. So if they're sitting there going, this all sounds great. I want to build more self-awareness. I want to have the courage to change. Like, what does that mean? And how do we turn that into something practical that people can start doing? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we start the book off with the practice of creating safety because we sort of feel like, you know, (laughs) 
Um, PSA for the model. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, And so, um, because we think it's one of those places that as leaders, as managers, and for yourself, you need to be thinking about how safe do our people feel? How safe do I feel? And um, because I, we genuinely believe if you don't feel safe, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to share your vulnerable ideas. You're not going to share your big ideas. You're not going to sort of share that. And everyone in the, in the, as a result is going to sort of lose. And so we talk about, you know, creating safety is up to you. And it's actually one of the ways that you actually can, can create trust and we have five, uh, five super PAC skills, which you can use in any one of these uh, practices, um, but we've sort of linked listening with this skill of creating safety, because when you deeply listen to the people around you and to yourself, you know, that's actually what starts to create a very trusting and safe environment for the people around you. Yeah. And I also noticed that owning your impact was another practice as well. Can you guys talk a little bit more about what that means and how you can be responsible for what you create? Yeah, we're uh, super passionate about this one. We are having an impact. You are having an impact all the time, whether or not you've got positional power or whether or not you don't. Um, You know, um, if you are super quiet in a meeting, people notice you, they notice that. And so we talk about there is an intended impact. Sometimes we, we want to come in guns blaring and sort of really make our point and may have people listen to us. And sometimes, uh, sometimes we don't, you know what I mean? And, and both have an impact and some of them in t- are intended. In other words, we're intending to create that kind of impact. And a lot of the times around uh, owning your impact, you know, we always use the example of uh, when you've said a joke and it's gone sideways, it hasn't landed well right? That's a perfect example of an unintended impact. We also talk as leaders, people are watching you all the time. And we tell the funny story, funny, not so funny story in the book about one day when I was a chief people of a company and I had walked onto the floor and usually I walk onto the floor, greet everybody, good morning. And, you know, as I'm waking my way to my desk and on this day, I had come off a phone call probably as I walked through the door and I was preoccupied and I just walked over to my desk and began in my day and midway through the morning, my admin came over and she said, you know, everybody thinks you're mad at them. I'm like, where'd that come from? She's like, you didn't say hi to everybody when you came in this morning. And so they've all got this story that, you know, something bad's happened and you're mad at them. And I was like, well, okay, let me go take care of that, right? Perfect example of an unintended impact because my routine had been off from what was normal. And they were just over there making up stories about what was going on with me. And it was up to me to go back to the team and like recheck in with everybody, you know, let them know all is well in the world. I was preoccupied that morning and check in with them. But had she not let me know that they would have just started swirling over there and mm-hmm. think about the lost productivity and, you know, loss of whatever uh, mm-hmm. that could have happened just by letting, you know, the way you walk into a room, make a difference. Yeah. This reminds me of a topic that I'm actually really passionate about, but it's around being trauma informed as a leader. It is a perfect example of a trauma response that people can have. They're observing in the environment what has changed. I mean, that's completely based on a trauma response and you're interpreting that information 
whether, you know, accurate or inaccurate, but I'm internalizing that as, oh my gosh, she's upset. What does that mean? Is, Mm -hmm. is there a layoff coming? Like she doesn't want to talk to us. Like, you know, that really gets those gears cranking, but as a leader, how important it is. And this is where I think it ties into owning your impact is not that you have to be a therapist or you have to like, you know, cater to everybody's every need, but understanding that our actions have consequences and they have an impact in ways that maybe you can't control, but the more you're aware of that, you can own more of that impact more often. And you can make decisions and think about like, okay, so if I send out this email right now, how might the people receiving it respond? What are some of the different feelings they might have? How might this trigger somebody? And you can be more thoughtful in how you um, create that impact. And then by owning it is really understanding, I think, again, yourself first, go back to what's going on inside here. What am I feeling? What am I doing? And then really turn outward to try and start providing that support, like you were talking about. But I think it's great. You had someone there to kind of say, Hey, Hey. I noticed that. And that's where I get back to like some of the systematic change I'm talking about is I believe in the organizations over certain size must have that person, whether it's a coach, whether it's, you know, a chief of staff or someone who can be that mirror for the executive to say, Hey, wait a second. I noticed this. How do you think that might've been, how might that have impacted the team? What are some things we can do about it? But having that voice of reason there to kind of just say, Hey, I noticed this, you know, what do you think? Like, let's talk through how we can, you know, maybe fix it or support it or change it. But we don't have that in, at least in the corporate, you know, companies I know about, there isn't really that person to be there to help where that's where the bridge I'm seeing needs to be created is. We go to workshops, we read books, we do all these things, but unless you have someone there holding you accountable and really being dedicated and focused to this work, it can be really easy just to slide right back into mm-hmm. status quo. Yeah. yeah. But control. I think you also need to, as a leader, I think that one of the questions you need to be keeping top of mind is what kind of a leader do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Put that on a post-it mm-hmm. note and slap it on your computer or wherever it is you're doing this work. Because again, you're the only one, you know, that can do that work, right? Yeah. But, but it takes, uh, it takes, this is a, an expanded view to look outside of yourself for that kind of feedback and to find those people around you who will give you that piece of, not the echo chamber, but who are the people around you who are going to actually give you that kind of feedback to be like, "Mm, hang on a minute. You said that thing in that meeting, but you know what? I don't think it landed the way quite that you intended it to land, you know? And one of the skills that we offer in the book, part of the five super packs is what we call shared agreements. And shared agreements means before we dive into the doing of work, if I'm a direct report and I had these with every CEO I worked with, I had them with every member of direct reports who reported into me. Um, Kate and I have them, you know, make them with my mom before we go on vacation together. They're how you want to be with each other while you're doing the doing of your work. And so back, Jennifer, to that, it it creates a safe place to say, hey, if our shared agreement is we will be honest with each other no matter what, then 
I need to know how to deliver a message in a way that's respectful to the person that I want to give it to and not Mm -hmm. add harm or hurt over there. Um, And um, I'm not helping by not being honest because that's one of the agreements that I have is you can always count on me. There will be no secrets Mm -hmm. and shared agreements is a simple practice. It costs no money. It's the beginning of every, you know, one-on-one that you have, which is like, Hey, before we dive into this, let's talk about the relationship that we're creating here and how we want to be with each other as we're doing it. It's that simple. And it comes back to you because as you were talking, um, what I was thinking in my head was, but I've been through a lot of traumatic experiences where bosses, you know, said, be honest, and then they held it against me or I was raised oh. in a family where you couldn't always be honest, right? Cause that meant threatening of safety or something. So I think that's again, where it comes back to each one of us, like really again, understanding and building that awareness of self first to be able to understand when I'm in those conversations and those voices are popping up in my head, am I able to discern like, Hey, what's kind of maybe that more painful wounded trauma part of me, or what is more of that whole part of me that can kind of be more aware and in the moment. Um, because I can guarantee you any leader that's listening, you have direct reports reporting into you. That's exactly what they're thinking is, can I trust you? I know we have this agreement that, you know, if I'm honest, like it, there is no retaliation or no consequence, but I've had a lot of leaders where that wasn't true. So I think it also, that trust I'm hearing too, was a big piece is really safety and trust are important. And when it doesn't happen, then they're responsible for the impact that gets created. Right. And by not going back to that leader and saying, Hey, Kate, Mm -hmm. you know, we have an agreement that says we're going to be honest with each other. And this thing happened. And I just felt stabbed in the back. And it's a lot easier to go back and have that conversation. The impact of that on me is this, is that what you intended? Mm. That's what that conversation looks like. And it, and it's safer to go back to it because that's agreement we had. So what happened? What changed? What shifted? Because sometimes things do, but it's important for the person to know, not for them to be made wrong, but for them to understand they have created an impact on you. Was that intended or not? Yeah. And, when I and hear that's where accountability that. starts being held in an organization. Mm-hmm. And I get it's hard if you're part of that trauma. That's also where setting those shared agreements with that in mind. Yeah. I don't have a great history of this in my life. So I'm a little trepidatious about this. Mm-hmm. Here's what I need. Can yeah. you do that? What I hear as a common thread through all of that is courage. Like it takes a lot of courage on both ends to be present Mm -hmm. and choice. You know, we are such big fans of choice. If you don't feel safe, then don't go and have that conversation. You know, you know, it's again, that's why our subtitle is the way that it is, because we always, always, always want people. If you don't, there, there may be some really good information in the fact that you are choosing not to go and have some of these difficult conversations because you don't feel safe. Well, that's some good information. Maybe you're not in the right organization and place and maybe your attention and time and, you know, could be, could be better spent not going and having that conversation that you don't feel safe about, but actually looking for something else that does feel safer for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we do have choice and that's very true. And sometimes it takes a lot of courage to make choices. And 
Um, yeah, no, I totally agree. And the last kind of uh, practice I was interested in hearing more from you about is the daring not to know piece, because I feel like that is also something a lot of leaders struggle with, especially when we're talking about control. And I want to make sure like, I can't ever be blindsided. I can't ever, you know, have this, you know, unexpected thing come up in my life. I'm curious to know, like, what, what do you, what do you guys mean by daring not to know? It is one of those fallacies that exist out there about leadership. And if we can change one thing, this is what we'd like to change about <laughs> it. There is this idea that we have to, when I get promoted and I'm a leader at whatever level that I need to know everything. And what that does is robs you the ability to engage the people around you, many of whom who you have put in those positions beneath you or mm -hmm. alongside you. It robs you of the, of the opportunity to engage with them. What do they know? What do they see that you don't see? Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and, and this is the vulnerable work that we are really trying to point, you know, sort of people to do is that courage to say that I don't know opens the door to participation and it's more authentic. But we fear, we fear that everyone else is going to judge us on that. We do. And, 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 and the skill that we have attached to this one is just get curious with them. And how do you do that in a way that feels safe for yourself and safe for them about what do they see? What are they seeing that you're not seeing? Where might you have a blind spot, right? That's mm -hmm. the way that you're going to get people to move towards you, you know? Yeah. yeah. I agree. I think curiosity is a great skill for many different things, but yeah, I mean, I think when you're in that unknown, like curiosity becomes a superpower and maybe even the beacon of light that you need to help. Yeah. Get you through or out of whatever that situation is that you may not be comfortable with or may not know how to navigate. I feel like curiosity always helps me kind of get through that. And again, it goes back to courage for me. I mean, I just keep thinking about how that's like underpinning so much of what we're talking about today is that just having the courage because it can, it is a very, very courageous act. All of these things that we've been talking about, trust, safety, you know, owning, you know, and daring to not know. Um, and a lot of times we reward people based on how much they know, or um, we don't always maybe celebrate kind of the unknown. And maybe when we don't know and what we've done and skills we built to get through that. Um, yeah. takes a lot of courage. The productivity outcome that we linked to daring not to know is engagement. Mm -hmm. So imagine, right. If, if I'm saying to the two of you, man, I'd really like to figure out how to create more courage in conversations for people. And, and, and we figure that out together. Right. I don't have to sit over there and have all the answers. I think this is one of the biggest fallacies about leadership is that somehow, you know, the answers and we all know you don't, you're making this shit up all yeah. the time you right. are. And part right. of, I think what happens in my observations, my experience is leadership at the most senior levels is very lonely. It's very isolating because of that pretext that you need to know this all. Yeah. And part of breaking that systemic cycle is this, yeah. is this attribute, is this practice of yeah. stepping toward your people and engaging them in conversation and in dialogue and 
certainly as coaches, we know the power of co-coactive creation with other people. Mm -hmm. That is the way forward. That's one of those new ways of being a just highly impactful leader that is not part of the old school way of leading. So it's time to put that tool back in the toolkit and, you know, add this one to it. And that's a courageous act. That change is courageous. And the Mm -hmm. place to look is, is what you're doing now serving you and those you're trying to lead. If the answer is no, then it's time to look deeper. Yeah, I agree. We're coming up to the end of the show. And I'd be curious to hear from each of you about what's the one leadership tool you would say people need to walk away from this conversation with? Me, I think it's probably going to be curiosity. I think it's the super power of, you know, working and being with other people. Don't assume that you know them or the solution or what needs to come next. If we could all practice just being more curious, gosh, that's so interesting. I would not solve it that way, but I'm curious why you would solve it that way, right? Mm -hmm. If we could actually, we call it a skill. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things. It's not like we don't know all how to be curious, but we name it as a skill so that you can step into it more consciously, right? And so I think that if, if people, if we could all be a little bit more curious with each other, um, as, as leaders, I think, I think we might, I think we might learn more. So if I had to choose one in this moment, it might be that one. Yeah. I think for me, um, is this awareness piece, you know, the world changed, the world of work has changed. The workforce has changed. Each of us have changed and it's time to attend to the change and doing waiting for normal and thinking we're going to just replay our old playbook in a world and with a workforce that has evolved um, will not make you an effective leader. And so pausing to look at yourself and how you're being, not what you're doing, um, pausing to say, do I understand who I want to be in this world? And is my behavior aligned to that? Pausing to say, wow, leading is actually not about me. It's actually all about them. And how do I step into healthy relationship with the people around me? All that starts with you. And um, that's that hard look in the mirror. And and the courage to change what's not serving you anymore. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I love both of those curiosity and awareness and courage. I mean, I think those are at least for the next version of leadership that we see as we're, you know, coming out of the pandemic and we're looking forward. I feel like those are some of the key skills people are going to, they have to have, like, I don't think it's going to be an option mm-hmm. in the future. As far as, like you said, how things have changed and shifted so much. And if I have to hear one more time, I can't wait to get back to normal. I'm going to like <laughs> just jump off a roof because I, I don't want to go back to normal. Like the normal right. that we all knew was not normal in That's any right. way. And, but we are given an opportunity, I believe to help redefine 
what we want normal to look like, not just be kind of a, I don't know, a victim. It feels like sometimes to what the society has determined as systems and what's normal. That is not normal. Like I look at it as an opportunity. Yeah. We were having a conversation that. with a CEO the other day and um, our, our comment was, what if this is the next normal? What if we're already here and everybody's yeah. waiting for something different, right? That's you being aware of what's happening around you and t- making choices about that today. And there might be another next normal, but this might be the normal for a while. And so we can't wait folks. If you're trying to lead businesses and people and form healthy relationships, you got to start today with what you've got at hand. And that all starts with you. Such a great practice, such a great reminder. I, I like to I like to tap into a lot of Buddhist philosophies when I'm thinking mm. about leadership. And there's a lot about coming back to the present moment. And I feel like that's what life, especially as a good leader is about. It's not about trying to anticipate or plan what your next move is going to be, but is, can you come back to the present moment over and over and over again? It's not about trying to make things fit into a way that we want to feel safe and controlled, but just how do we come back to it? And it, it just feels like a practice that we have to do every moment and every day. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And yeah, it's a very powerful practice, but can we be in this moment? That's what I keep challenging people is like, let's not worry about what your 12 month goals are, what you really want to like, can we come back to right here, right now? Let's, let's sit here for a while and see, see what, what comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, well, it was such a pleasure, Debbie and Kate speaking to you both today. Um, where can people find you? And if they're interested, tell us a little bit about the book and where they can find that. You can find that on Amazon, any Barnes and Noble, any place where you buy your books is where you can uh, get the book. Yep. <laughs> Humanity works better. That's the name of the book. And yep. you can check us out and you can find uh, podcasts and we've had, we've been published in Fast Company and Harvard Business Review. You can find all of that stuff, including this podcast eventually on mm-hmm. our uh, website, which is humanityworksbetter.com. Along with our programs and services are all listed there. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure getting to know you and learning about your work. And thank thank you you for all of the work you're doing, because I do believe it's, you know, I always talk about the way I look at leadership too, is the more that we can heal ourselves, the better we can be able to lead others in ourselves. But it feels like a little bit of healing, the work that you guys are doing. So I appreciate just from a humanitarian standpoint, like, thank you for you know, the work that you guys are doing, because I, I truly believe it's important work and what we need as a collective. So thank you. We believe humanity works. Yeah. (laughs) So true. Thank you so much. for